Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say that you have no husband, the fact is that you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then, in verse 27, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? Drop down verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. 
They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the power of your truths, and we are certainly humbled by the ways in which you have seen fit to communicate that truth deep within our hearts. We pray, Lord, as we find ourselves not only receptive to the messages of life that you present to us, but we pray, O God, that we would be truly moved and touched by the reality that most of this change, all of the beginning stages, is a gift completely and entirely given by grace. And we thank you for this. We trust, Lord, that we might consider how we might respond to you in a healthy, a meaningful, and appropriate way. In Jesus' name, amen. We have spent uh, several weeks talking about choices and how those choices or decisions that you and I make in life have a huge impact or influence on where our lives go from today into the future. We all know that some choices seem to be completely and entirely insignificant. Very tiny little choices. We say, what does it really matter whether I turn to the left or turn to the right or eat this or eat that? I think we are well aware that those little tiny choices also have an influence on how our lives unfold. The important thing is that you and I have been given that opportunity to look at life, to evaluate life, to respond to life, and choose in areas that really do make a difference. It's easier to start with the big choices and consider how they play into our lives, but the challenge we ought to take is let's not overlook those tiny little choices that may seem to be insignificant, but in truth, they do their work. It's the little things in life that become bigger. It's the little choices we make that begin to develop the habits, the patterns, the thought processes, and the things that move us and shape our life. Not everybody, as we look in this particular story, starts out with the same background. Not every one of us starts out with the same experiences in life. Not everybody is born into families that are healthy and Uh, and, and are moving smoothly where security and stability are in their lives. Some people come to faith with a background that nobody wants to talk about. Some of us were not only born into healthy families, but some of us have been brought up in some very difficult backgrounds. Some of us, it may not have been the home life, it was simply the experiences or the impact of friends and, and other significant people that have taken our lives on one particular direction or another. What's beautiful about this story is Jesus is once again ministering to people that their lives have some huge holes in it. And by this, we can recognize that what Jesus promises to this person and encourages this person can be of encouragement and a promise to each and every one of us that regardless of our past, he can give us a bright and healthy and, 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 and a beautiful future in the days ahead. It's interesting when we think about the decisions that you and I make in life, we must humbly consider that God can take us today and change the direction of our life. 
that God can intervene in a way to give us a new beginning even though we have an old past. It's important to understand the choice to let Jesus Christ lead us as intended is a powerful choice. It might seem to be a big one, it might appear to be a small one, but either way we must understand that some choices are a little bit more complicated than others. And I don't want to try to overcomplicate it in any way, nor do I want to oversimplify that regardless of where I've been, Jesus can instantly fix it. Because there's several dynamics that play together and several that are mentioned in these particular scriptures that I trust might be part of the makeup of the choices and decisions that you and I uh, need to make or could make. As complicated and as confusing as our past may seem to have been, Jesus offers life, a new life, an eternal life to everyone who believes. Even as the Apostle Paul pointed out to us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that therefore if anyone or any person is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. The challenge that you and I face is many times we look at scriptures and we look at the promises, is we somehow in our minds are thinking time frame. And often that time frame is that if Jesus could change my life, then he has to do it right now, this instant, automatic. The truth is, when he begins a work, it's that powerful and it's that definitive, and yet the transformation is a choice that goes on from this point to the rest of our lives. And so as we think about this, I trust that you would understand my purpose and my prayer this morning is that each and every one of us might humbly and yet courageously come to this well of living water. That that invitation, the dialogue around it, the context is that we must choose to drink. Not simply one time, but we live at this well of living water. And the unique relationship that we have with Christ and what he's teaching in these things is from this point onward. Those of us that have been drinking from the well of living water know quite well what happens when you stay there. What happens when you continue to feast upon all of the blessings and promises that Christ give and the significant impact that choice can make for the rest of our lives. My experience as a pastor for all the uh, years that I have been involved in the ministry, I've witnessed there have been many people who have come and experienced significant change. And the impact of learning to humbly drink from the waters of life have proven to transform many lives. And while others that seemingly re are reluctant to this or somewhat reserved to this how that some of their struggles that they had 25 years ago might very well still be some of the same struggles that they might continually face in life. It's interesting, as we look at this story, I, I truly believe that it holds a message of great hope and freedom to each and every one of us who might humbly choose and courageously drink the water that this life comes. The danger we face is familiarity. 
Some of us are well aware, well aware of the concepts of drinking and thirst and those elements that seemingly are communicated in many of our worship songs, and they're communicated and woven through uh, so many scripture references that we can become so familiar with these promises of this great power, and then we get delusion and discouraged because we wonder, where is the glory? Where is the power of the Spirit of God in transforming our lives? I trust that we might come back and humbly say, Lord, I am back. Because it's important to understand that the choice we make is not only something that continually points to our yesterdays, but it's an ongoing thirst and longing. Lord Jesus, come. Turn with me in the Gospel of John chapter 4 as we consider some of these elements that I trust as God has allowed my heart to rest upon these, that they might be meaningful to you. I know that some of the things that God begins to show to us, He begins to lay upon our hearts. He also has done it in our lives in the past and continues to do it in the future. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, we want to look at verse 4 once again. Now, meaning Jesus, He had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. And then verse 19, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for Jews? Do not associate with Samaritans. Here we see one of the most hidden and secretive concepts of all of our faith and all of the unique work that God will ever do in any one of our lives, is you and I need to realize Jesus has his own agenda, he has his own motive, he has his own purpose, and regardless of what culture and the world has said is to be the way it is, Jesus breaks the rules for you and me. He knows how to cross beyond all the prejudiced views and all the cultural upbringing and all the concepts. He goes through Samaria and he says, I gotta go. One of the things that you and I must cherish, and it might be difficult to cherish, is if maybe we've been brought up wondering about all the whys of the hardships of our lives. Some of us are well familiar what it's like to grow up in a world that you and I were put down because you are not one of the elite class or the right people or you grew up in the right home in the right environment. You are those that Jesus says, I got to go because you are on his mind and I am on his heart. He makes a deliberate, intentional beeline to get to the well where this woman was going to be. It's grace. That's the big word. That's the the concept that the Bible constantly communicates is he chose us. We didn't choose him. He loved us first and then we began to love. It is the beauty of a Savior that's passionate about you and he's passionate about me and he won't quit until he gets there. It's hard. If your life has been hard, it's hard to grasp if all the pieces and the what fours and whys don't line up. It's hard if you wonder in this incident or that incident. Where was God in my past when my life was struggling? Where was God when my home fell apart or whatever it might be? Where was he? 
we learn, we humbly choose to acknowledge, I trust that Jesus has always loved me, even if I didn't know it. But now she's at that well with all of her past as it's past. Her struggle isn't so much. Why would you talk to me knowing my spiritual condition? What I'm wondering is you're not supposed to be here. Number one, you're in Samaria, and that's not the where Jews come. And number two, I'm a woman. And you don't talk to women publicly, particularly in that culture, that world. Jesus breaks the trend to demonstrate clearly grace is a key. Now, some of us might become so familiar once again to the idea of grace that we lose sight of the beauty of meeting the Savior purely on a basis of grace. Some of us grow up with a concept or an idea that the way you get close to God is you got to work it, you got to earn it, you got to deserve it, you got to do everything right so that He might like you. If you grew up in a highly performance-oriented uh, background or a world in which the only time you got praise and recognition is because you proved or did something, and somebody says, I like what you did, and they lose sight in, I love you as you are. It's especially important that this woman began to sense he not only has come here, I do not believe he should come because of the cultural understandings, but he's coming to me and he truly cares. Some of us are struggling, onward struggling, all through life with understanding God truly loves me. And even though it doesn't fit all the, the questions as to the struggles I had in the past, when you and I come to a place and we simply let pure grace begin to work into the heart and mind, you're going to begin to experience change. The healings of the past are greatly connected, uniquely tied, so close together with understanding it's grace and it's grace alone. A second thing we see within these scriptures that I believe it can clearly illustrate to us is found in verses 10 through 15. John chapter 4, verses 10 through 15. Again, we read Jesus answered, or if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you to, uh, for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, notice, and drank from it himself? And he also, his sons and his flocks and herds. I'm not quite sure whether my sheep and cattle drank from it would make it more important or not. But understand, culturally speaking, this woman is defending everything she's been taught. We were told that this well is sacred. That there's something unique, there's something special. And we got the records and we got the background. We know there's something about that water that's sort of like the healing at the pool. There was a, a common belief, a, an understanding that every so often the angels stirred the water, the powers in the water. Same principle, same concept. And Jesus just listens to this. And here is the application. Grace may choose us. It begins a great work. And yet we must be thirsty in order to drink. Jesus is saying to her, though she, 
He does not question anything at this point. He simply invites her to be thirsty and take the drink. Why is that so important? Because you and I must realize that though we might tell ourselves, I got to get more thirsty for God, I got to get more hungry for God, I got to do something here because for some reason I just don't have that yearning, that drive, that want to. Once again, look at John chapter 6 and follow along with me as we read two verses. One is found in verse 44, the beginning of that, and then verse 65. Verse 44 in John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Somebody pick up at verse, I'm sorry, I'll read it for you. Verse 65, he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. It sounds very similar to the grace of God, and in fact, it could very well be another concept of grace. But you and I need to realize that grace typically gives an invitation to reach for something. It begins to acknowledge that I'm going to trust this Jesus. I'm going to respond to what I know about him. Grace might knock on your heart. It may knock on the door of your heart, but at some point, we open it. It's not really that there's anything profound that you and I can do about our hunger or thirst for God. But at the same time, if we're losing our spiritual appetite, there's no doubt we still hear the knock. It's important that we acknowledge that though we may not seem to have the the yearning or the energy or the motivation to excel in our spiritual journey, we must humbly admit that God is still knocking. He's still drawing. He still is giving that. And it's important that we acknowledge the reality. Jesus, you've been more than fair. You revealed yourself. You allowed us to sense yourself. You've made us aware of that. We must humbly acknowledge, Lord, you have never left me. And though we might waver in our journey, we may lose the focus of our our commitment and our zeal for him. But at the same time, we must acknowledge he's getting to me. He's still speaking. He is being faithful, though we are not faithful. He is still being consistent, though we may not be consistent. It's important in the healing process of life to acknowledge, Lord, I know that you're knocking on my heart. And I'm grateful for that knocking. I'm humbly acknowledging that you have always consistently uh, been there. And we understand that is consistent or compatible with scriptures such as Philippians 1, 6, where it says that he who began a good work, he will perfect it. He will complete it. And so here we are beginning to develop some kind of response. We're developing some kind of recognition that God, who began to open that heart, has continually spoken into my life, and I must commit, I must surrender, I must yield the realities that He is still knocking on my heart. Turn with me once again to John chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 16 and down through 18. John chapter 4, 16 through 18. He told her, 
go call, excuse me, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands and, and then it goes on. Exposure is, is extremely messy. And, you know, some of us might say, "Way Jesus really has crossed the line now. He's stepping into some extremely personal and private areas. And any one of us that uh, would experience any kind of that kind of dialogue right away would have a problem. As a matter of fact, if you read these scriptures to, to many people who maybe not have a relationship with God, they're going to say, you have got to be kidding. But you and I must recognize when grace begins to do its unique work in your life and Jesus begins to keep knocking on your heart, at some point there's a crucial decision everyone must make in life. If we're going to heal from the past, if we're going to be healthy for the future, if our life is going to begin to become more than just an intellectual exercise between what we might believe or not believe, you and I have to become, or willing to become, extremely vulnerable with God. He is going to touch and probe and work at levels that no one has ever gotten. And he's never surprised by the reality of our past. He's never surprised, and he's not going to walk away with the fact that you and I say, you got me. One of the most powerful things that we often are familiar with is the beauty of God's amazing grace and his unlimited amount of forgiveness. But sometimes we may lose sight of the importance of allowing God to understand or hear your heart. As we communicate to Him, we need to acknowledge that pain of the past. We need to tell Him the story that no one knows about except God Himself. But for some reason, it's the pouring out of the heart and the listening to the heartbeat of God. Sometimes in our pain... We have vented maybe so much, we may not ever have come to the place where we listen to God's communication to the heart. He wants to expose. And that seems awful. It seems cruel. In the, the world of addiction, of drugs and alcohol, to make a moral and fearless inventory of your life is probably the most brutal, devastating step of all of them is to begin to allow the truth begin to bring to surface all the, the, the dirty details of life and, and to allow them to be formulated into one story, into one statement in essence. This is who I've become and let him love you at the same time. That exposure thing might be difficult and sometimes we may find the song and dance taking place in our life where we're running from the, the, the awareness or the, the, the moment of letting the purging process continue. From my personal experience and what I believe more and more the scriptures seem to validate is you and I are a lot like onions. It won't be just one layer that gets peeled off in the exposure. It's layer after layer after layer. Can we trust God with our story? Can we trust him with the fact that we might be angry at him? Can we trust in our communication that maybe as he begins to dig deeper, that maybe the problem or the complexity of the issue is a lot more messy than we ever imagined? It's through that concept of exposure that healing can take place. 
It's bringing and allowing the vulnerability of the real deep realities of the heart to be brought to a meeting place where we can come to God. For without that cleansing work at that level, the healing is going to be like a scab covering a wound that the infection is still deep. In John chapter 3, if we go back one chapter, we can look at verse 19 through 21. Now, for those of you familiar with Scripture, know it comes immediately after one of the most powerful and uh, familiar Scriptures in the whole Bible, that God loved the world so much He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. In verse 16, down in verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that what may be seen plainly, that what has been done, has been done through God. It's a choice to trust Him in the midst of the revealing issues, the exposure of the mess of our past, and the mess that maybe we've gotten ourselves to even today. It's the exposure, it's the purging, it's the vulnerability of coming so the Spirit of God can speak directly to the heart and you and I can open ourselves up to all of those details so that the cleanser has the power to clean us. This might happen in many different settings and many different experiences in life, but ultimately we're committing ourselves to a new way of allowing the Holy Spirit to dig real deep and to get real personal and get real specific because He does not want to bring condemnation to life. He wants to cleanse us. The cleansing work comes when you and I say yes and amen to the work of His Holy Spirit. Let's go back to John chapter 4, and uh, we'll pick up at 19, and uh, then drop down to 25 and 26. John chapter 4, verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Verse 25 and 26, the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now, here's our disadvantage. We've been brought up in a culture, we've been brought up in a country where information is easily accessible and all the right answers are something we believe the power is in knowing the right answers. We love information, we love access to new ideas and new thoughts, and we love it at the push of a button. But you and I will never, ever, ever get to know Jesus Christ by a button. You and I will never, ever, ever experience a Savior who changes your life if it comes real quick. You and I must cherish the beauty that God somehow keeps Himself somewhat over the horizon, and you and I need to choose to walk over that horizon to get to Jesus Christ. You and I need to understand the beauty of the pursuit and the passion of His holiness and His majesty. 
You and I need to learn to choose to say, I'm going to get to know this guy. He's given me enough information. He showed me a glimpse of who he is, but the right answer doesn't get your heart in the right place. It's the right attitude. It's the right passion. It's the pursuit that those who seek him, we will find him. It's a mystery that I, I propose that you and I humbly choose. I am going to boldly, courageously enter the mystery I want to know who this Jesus is. Sure, I've heard he's a prophet, but I want to hear his words. I've heard about him being the Savior, but I want to know what it's like to be truly saved. I want to know, as I've heard he is the sanctifier or the cleanser of my soul, I want to be clean. In other words, this woman was invited to take a deeper look, not only at herself, but now she must gaze her fix on Jesus. You can't go back and get rid of your five husbands. But you can come to me and allow me to be the husband. You can't go back and undo your yesterdays, but you and I can walk through a relationship that tomorrow is with Jesus Christ. And to truly know him, not simply as an information, it's an experience of a relationship that can never really be described, it can never really be defined, but it can truly be one that by a pursuit, you can be confident, I'll trust. Seek him, you'll find him. I trust if any of these principles are important to know, it's a beginning today and it goes on for the rest of our lives. Is our intent, is our commitment to know him, to move beyond the button into a relationship. That's why it's so important that we be careful about the right answers. The right answers point us in the right direction. They begin to set the tone, the foundation, but the beginning of a relationship, at least one that heals the past, at least one that changes the course of our lives, that which which gives us the energy, the, the capacity to continue to go in life, is I have to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. I must truly experience him in this fullness of his person. Now, there's two stages to this. Jesus asked his disciples on one occasion, who do people say I am? Once again, they danced around by answering. Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say one of the other prophets. And we understand the story tells us that the spirit of grace has revealed to the apostle Peter, thou art the Christ. The important thing to understand is not only that God will begin to reveal to us the right answers, but the important thing is to consider the second stage. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we want to look at verses 8 now through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the suppressing, surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider 
them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. If you think you can figure out the Trinity, try taking that one on for size. It's the mystery, the depth of a relationship, that the answer is not by knowing the right answer. The answer can only be, and always will be, a passionate pursuit of Jesus and lots of time in the search. And as you and I journey on through life and we have a longing to get to know the person of Christ, you can choose to trust that what he reveals and shows you will in fact continue to change us. It's that concept of pursuing to know his true and his full identity for who he is and who he claims to be and particularly the encounter of meaningful engagements with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let's go back to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we look at verses 28 uh, down through uh, verse 30. John chapter 4, beginning at 28, we'll read down through 30. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who's told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Drop down to verse 39. Down through... Oh, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead here. Well, we'll, we'll just do it backwards here. Many of the Samaritans, uh, in verse 39, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more people became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Here's the choice to persist. In having begun to know him, you are longing to validate, you're longing to affirm, you're longing for the inner uh, confidence or assurance that the Holy Spirit gives. It's one thing to be passionate about getting to a point in which we can have assurance that we belong to God. It's another to live with a passion that we maintain a healthy relationship so that we might help other people. It's one thing to share your testimony about what God has done in your life. It's another to pray that God would give us the opportunity to impart that testimony into someone else's life. It's a new kind of walk, a new kind of relationship, a new purpose in, in our, our testimony. Is we want that assurance, that sweet confirmation of the Holy Spirit so we can give Him away. We can introduce Him to others. And so she goes back to her, her, her town folks. She tells the people, could it be? Could it be? They believe everything she said. And yet, they insisted two more days. 
you can stay. And uh, invited him to stay. In other words, there seems to be the importance of deciding to be persistent and press on a little bit. As Jesus, interestingly, doesn't tell us much other than, I mean, what was he going to do for the next two days? But it's important to know that it wasn't so much to speculate that Jesus had nothing to do for two more days. It becomes clear that that two-day period did something intentional. Let's look in Luke chapter 24 because we have a similar concept that I believe uh, can uh, re-clarify and reinforce this principle. Luke chapter 24. We might struggle wondering why is it this complicated to find ourselves uh, focused and intentional about a relationship with Christ I simply want to bring back where we started. Some of us have a past that no matter how much of a racer you use, it's not going away. Some of us, we've been to the best counselors in the world. They're not able to change the direction of your life. But when we want healing and we want healthy tomorrows, we have to make a choice to realize It's really only in Jesus Christ. It's not only in a relationship that comes by knowing the right answers. It's a relationship that you and I stay in the right place. The reason he gives us a new life and a new way of living is so that you and I might not only find it a rich, meaningful experience with him, but it's one journey that continues to bring multitudes of other people as they come along in the process. Look in Luke chapter 24. Uh, We see uh, on the road to Emmaus, this is after uh, Jesus has been crucified, and the rumor out there is Jesus is clearly dead and he's gone. And so here are these two disciples. They're traveling away from Jerusalem, probably under the assumption that everything that Jesus meant and everything we hoped him to be We don't know what to do with it, but we know one thing. It looks like it's over. Verses 13 through 17. Now, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They talked, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. In verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing and talking as you walk along? Now, just as Jesus was very intrusive in this woman's life in John chapter 4, why is he playing dumb with two disciples, dialoguing along and pretending he's somebody else? Again, I can't explain some of the mysteries. I know one thing, that if you and I give up too soon, you and I are not going to know the other half of the story. In the journey of life, we can get discouraged, we can get depressed, we can lose our momentum. You and I need to realize the secret to your tomorrows is today is still And today is just as important in the deciding process 
today is just as crucial in the cleansing of our past and the renewing of the future. Even today, a decision ought to be made to drink once again, to be determined to drink from the well of living water because the other option is the cistern which Jeremiah chapter 2 talks about. There are many kinds of proposed ways of dealing with the pain of our past. Whether it happens to come uh, through all kinds of sources, medically speaking, or counseling, or whatever it may be. And as great as these concepts are, some of them are simply drinking from a cistern. And some of them, we trust, is Jesus Christ. We must humbly acknowledge that what Jesus Christ gave us is water that gives life itself. So when we look in uh, uh, Luke chapter 24, we see not only that Jesus goes along with them, dialoguing back and forth, they don't know who he is, and he doesn't tell them. I mean, it was obvious that he knew that they did not know who he was. He knows the struggle they're facing. He knows the turmoil that's going on in their heart and in their mind. He knows all those details just as he knows uh, your struggles and my struggles and the complexity of our thoughts. He knows all those details, and yet he leaves them hanging. That season of hanging is sacred. Because until you and I allow a, 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 a lifestyle that begins to meditate and reflect and probe and ponder, somehow the cleansing process is hindered. But here's the beauty as the story goes on in uh, uh, verse 39. Oh, I'm sorry. We're getting down to 25, uh, down to 32. Uh, Jesus says, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken Did the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. Did you get that? As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. The urgency comes in those times when your faith is taking a dip. Your circumstances are all over the place. You and I are in the capacity to choose. I trusted this in the beginning, and I choose to trust this today. Without their persistent plea, don't leave us. The rest of the story takes on a different shape. To be thirsty, to be hungry for God, isn't just a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision. I realize we may wonder where the energy has gone. We may wonder where the devotion has gone. We may wonder why life becomes so complicated and complex. But my appeal to you is the same Jesus then, today, and forever continues to manifest himself in patterns. And that pattern is, you got to decide, you're going to let him go, or you're going to grab a hold. Notice what it says when we get to uh, verse uh, 36. Luke, uh, um, let's look at verse 30. When he was at the table with them, He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him as he disappeared from 
their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us. The way that often we end up discovering the beauty of the passion that propels us onward is in that lingering process, in that insistence of spending time to encounter the resources that God gives us, we discover something that Jesus himself is the only one that can teach us and show us. He's the only one that can reveal these things to us. What's important is that, again, we choose, we humbly, we courageously acknowledge my desire to thirst more for him. Let's pray. Father, you're the one that searches the hearts. You keep knocking, you keep probing, you keep leading, you keep directing. You've revealed all the necessary ingredients in life, and you've packaged them in the scriptures so that we might work with them, we might hold them, cherish them, and they become living testimonies. They become examples, and we have all around us people, witnesses, and others that testify of the power of a changed life. We pray, God, that we might allow you to search us in a way of knowing the difference between knowing the right answers and truly having come to a place where our heart is right there where it ought to be. I pray for each and every one in our church. I pray for all of us even here today who have allowed the Spirit of God to search and to reveal. I pray, God, that you'd give us the courage to choose, to make a choice that determines how our futures look, how healthy our life is, and how the healing can take place in the past. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.